Will you pray with me? Father, there's so much we don't know today and we're not afraid to admit that to you. Uh, our confidence in our own knowledge um, is not great. So we call upon your name. And just to know, Lord, that, that we are yours and that you are ours is enough to sustain our souls for this day, for this week, for this month, this year, this life. You really are enough for us, God. And forgive us for the times when we live with a functional atheism. We, we act as though you're not there, as though it all depends on us. And Lord, we know better than that in our hearts, but it's hard sometimes to simply submit and surrender completely to you. So I pray today, Lord, that you would strengthen our confidence in you, the God who knows, who knows everything and who chooses to know us. And we pray, Father, that you would teach us uh, to wait for you more than watchmen wait for the morning. We don't have a plan B, God. You're all we've got. I thank you that, that you're all we need. And as servants look to their master, so we lift our eyes and we look to you until you have mercy on us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you. Good to worship with you. Um, I just keep thinking of uh, Zechariah's words. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And I pray God will teach us that truth today as we worship. We, um, we missed you last week. We were away. Uh, we went up to Arkansas, which has become habitual in the last three years since our son went to college up there. And, uh, and we went up there because he was uh, part of what they call Tiger Tunes. And he was directing and singing a, a solo in that. And it was Fun to be there. Washita's really been uh, life-giving for him and consequently for our family as well. And it's good to see Winston, who's a student there. Uh, he was in that same uh, performance last week playing drums and uh, looked like he was having a lot of fun. And it's good to worship and be led uh, by him today in worship as well. So back in 1999, we had a conference here. Some of you will remember um, a Renovari conference we had and um, had people come in from really all over the world, pastors, international pastors, and a, a lady named Marty Ensign, who has written books on prayer, amazing lady, uh, was there, and she was hosting a number of the international pastors, and she realized um, that in a city as big as Houston that they, they could get lost, and so she, she gave them her phone number and said, if you get lost, just call me, I'll come get you. And uh, an hour had passed when she got a phone call and uh, the pastor on the other end said, so I'm lost. And she said, okay, so here's what I need you to do. Go to the street corner and see the address. What are the two streets that you're at? And then tell me, and then I'll come and get you. And so um, the pastor walked and looked and said, okay, I think I know where I am. I'm at the corner of walk and don't walk. <laughs> I'm right there at that corner because that's what the signs say. And um, I've been to that corner. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I've been there. I've seen our church be at that very corner. Do we walk? Or should we not walk? What do we do? And, and how do we find direction in our lives in those times when we're desperate to know 
What does God want for me as a person? What does God want for my family? What does God want for my church family? Particularly as we're praying together with our 2020 group and dreaming about the next six years and what God has for us. We're, we're asking that question, Lord, do we walk? Do we not walk on this, on that? What do we do? And the good news is that the God who knows what he's doing wants to show us what he wants us to do. Paul teaches that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Would you open your Bibles with me to that passage? 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. We've been studying in the book of 1 Corinthians. And more particularly, we've been looking at the way disciples think. And if disciples are learners about Jesus who live like him and lead others to do the same, then who's our teacher? Well, Paul answers that question here. Would you stand with me in reverence for our God just as we grow in spiritual wisdom? This is what Paul teaches about God's wisdom and about having God's mind. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul had lots of times when he was seeking to know what God wanted him to do next. There are just some strategic moments. And somewhere, I think, between Athens and Corinth, there, there must have been a time of spiritual reflection where he realized if I'm going to win this culture that is steeped in Greek wisdom, I'm not going to have to be wiser than their most wise people in human terms. I don't have to become the next Socrates, Paul says, but I do have to know Christ and him crucified. What if I just started right there with Christ and him crucified? And so when he got to Corinth, after sort of reasoning with the intelligentsia of Athens, with, after um, debating with and speaking with the Athenians there on the Areopagus, when he gets to Corinth, verses one to five of chapter two says, he decided, I'm not gonna know anything except Christ. 
and him crucified. And, and that's going to be the basis and foundation of my ministry because I don't want the faith of the Christians in Corinth to be founded upon the wisdom of a human personality, but rather I want their faith to be grounded in the Spirit's power. We used to sing an old hymn, my faith has found a resting place. That's what he says. Your faith doesn't rest in human wisdom, but in the wisdom of God. Now, based on that, some would say to him, well, you're not as eloquent as some of our philosophers, maybe not as eloquent as Apollos, who was our pastor after you left. And so why should we listen to you when you're not grounded in the greatness of Greek rhetoric? And Paul's answer to that was, so we do have wisdom, but it's not a wisdom that's different from the gospel. So some would say, well, we need the gospel to get saved, but then we got to go deeper. We got to move beyond milk to meat as though the gospel were not meat. But I think the, the consensus of scripture is that we don't go deeper than the gospel. We just go deeper into the gospel. And so we preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to ourselves over and over again. And in this process of spiritual growth, what we discover is that the God who knows us and knows everything is the same God who lives in us by his spirit and shows us what he wants us to do. The God who knows is the God who shows us what to do. And sometimes our paralysis in making decisions and finding out what we're supposed to do next is rooted in the, the misconception that really nobody knows. You know, it's kind of, we stop with verse nine sometimes and say, well, eye has not seen it, ear has not heard, and, and uh, it hasn't entered into the hearts, or as the NIV, NIV says, um, it, it hasn't been conceived by the human mind what God has prepared. Nobody knows what God is doing. Nobody, and we, we sort of um, interpolate from that the concept that maybe God doesn't know what God is doing. And this played out in the church at Corinth in an unusual way because when they had conflicts, instead of seeking the wisdom of God within the church, they would take each other to a pagan court. They would take each other and put each other on trial and let the pagan judge tell the people who corporately had the mind of Christ what they were supposed to do. And Paul said, that is really strange that you would seek the wisdom of this world when God's wisdom is freely available to you. And I would readily admit that there are a lot of things that we don't know about God, but he says, look, the difference between the unspiritual mind, the natural mind and the spiritual mind is night and day. And you don't go tonight to find out about day. You don't go to the pagans to understand what Christians ought to do. In fact, this whole thing of um, people, you know, consulting horoscopes and, and I don't know how the mediums stay in, in business. I mean, I don't know how they do the fortune tellers and all. I don't know. I don't understand that. Uh, I don't understand um, that. But these people apparently stay in business because I see their, their shingles all over the place. And apparently people go to them and say, what do we need to do? And we go to advice columnists and Dr. Phil and Oprah and whoever else so we can find out what we're supposed to do. And Paul would say to us, Look, you, you may not know, and I can guarantee you the non-Christian doesn't know what you're supposed to do, but God knows. God knows. So what he says is after he says, what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, then he says, these are the things God has revealed, past tense to us by his spirit. Why? Because the spirit knows. The spirit searches the deep things. That's that word oceans that we were just singing, bathos in Greek, the depths 
And God is deep. He's as deep as an ocean, just like you and I don't know what's on the bottom of the ocean. We don't know everything about God. But can we just agree together today that God knows what God's about? God knows what God's doing. My friend Larry Nixon, who was a pastor who experienced enormous um, physical pain in his life and a great deal of difficulty with his health. And, and all the time he was trying to preach the gospel. And sometimes I would see him preaching and I would just see him flinch because he was literally feeling pain as he preached. Before him, a guy named Burt Murphy, who signed my ordination Bible, who presided over my ordination council. And he had so much pain in his back that they gave him a little um, shocker that he put uh, on, on his back there. And it, he would literally, he would have to push a button and it would give him a shock to dull the pain. And I've just known a lot of people who serve God who were in a great deal of pain. But Larry Nixon used to say, when God wants to drill a man, could be a man or a woman, right? But when God wants to drill a man or thrill a woman or skill a man, when God uh, wants to mold a person to play the noblest part, when God yearns with all of God's heart to create so great and bold a person that all the world's amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how sometimes God hammers and hurts and with mighty blows converts into trial shapes of clay that only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how God bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how God uses whom he chooses and with every act induces us to try his glory out. God knows what he's about. And Paul wanted the Corinthians and I want you to know God knows. Look, just like you know what's going on in your life, just like on your computer, I've got a little corner down there I can sort of search and I can just type in a word and it'll find every document, every sermon, every everything I've ever used that word in right there. The computer knows what the computer's about. You know what you're about. God knows what God's about. And the Spirit searches the deep things of God and the Spirit knows us. This is really important that the God who knows us, the God who knows everything, who knows what he's doing is the one that you and I should consult when we need wisdom. So James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Don't ask doubting, don't, not wavering like a, a wave. No, no, ask him in faith because God will reveal to us what we need to know. My image is like, you know, Indiana Jones in that last um, of the first set of movies, which were the best set of movies in my opinion. Um, and, um, you know, the last crusade and he's got to walk across that chasm and there's nothing there, but there's just enough. And every time he takes a, a step, the stone beneath him lights up, but it isn't until he takes a step. And I think about the great minds in our culture and you say, well, these people are brilliant in ways that we can't even comprehend and they don't believe in God. I'm thinking about like Carl Sagan after he died and, and, and somebody asked his wife, well, didn't he want to believe? And she said, no, he wanted to know. But the scriptures teach us we never know until we believe. So we think um, seeing is believing, but the scriptures say believing is seeing. And we want to know him. That's why Paul said after all that he knew, he's a rabbi trained at the feet of Gamaliel. And he says to the Philippians, he just confesses, I want to know him. Not just know about him, but I want to know him. And we have to be careful. A.W. Tozer wrote years ago and he said, we have to be careful about a sort of evangelical rationalism that says, if you know the book, you know God. Now look, I understand God speaks to us through his word and not one person in this room loves this book more than I do. But let me just say something to you. It's not as though you can capture the truth in a formula. Knowledge is relational. It's about 
knowing God. And I know people and you know people who know the Bible very well and, and somehow mysteriously live like the devil. And you say, how is that possible? Because it's not, it's not just rational. It's not just comprehension of knowledge. It's about not just knowing the book, but knowing the author of the book. It's, it's Ezekiel standing there and looking at this valley full of dry bones and God saying to him, do you think they can live? And him saying to, to God, Lord knows. God, you know, I don't know, Lord knows. You ever say, oh, Lord knows what's gonna happen. Lord knows in a world of ISIS and Ebola and crises on every hand, the church better have more than the Lord knows to offer to the world. And so what God says to Ezekiel after Ezekiel, Ezekiel says, look, you know, you, you can make them live or you can make them not. I don't know, Lord, you know. And the, and the Lord says to Ezekiel, remember this? In verses like 11 to 14 of Ezekiel 37, he says, don't tell people the Lord knows. Tell people, know the Lord. Because if you know him, and you know that he knows, then you know that he is working all things together for good. For whom? For those who love him. And look again at verse nine and say, I mean, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, had not entered the things that God has prepared for who? Those who love him. So the promises of Romans eight and the promises of 1 Corinthians two, nine and 10 are not for people who say uh, about God, who cares? But, but they're for people who say, I love God with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. As best as I am able, I love him. And for those people, he says, look, the Spirit knows what God is doing in your life. And the Spirit will show you what God is doing in your life right on time. And so in, in verse 12, he says, and we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may understand what God has freely given to us. We, we have the spirit who is from God. And so I, I've been singing all week, thinking of that old hymn, Spirit of God, my teacher be. Spirit of God. Who's our teacher? The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And I read this week about Helen Keller. You know her story, amazing lady, um, blind, deaf. People thought she was not intelligent. And then um, Dr. Alexander Graham Bell recommended to her parents that they find a teacher, a tutor for her. They found Ann Sullivan, a 19-year-old orphan who began to teach Helen Keller by literally writing the letters of words on her hands, writing those letters on her hands, putting her hand and touching her larynx as she spoke so that she could perceive the vibration. And before long, they began to discover just how brilliant Helen Keller was. And before long, she was speaking and Ann Sullivan was her interpreter. For 50 years, they shared life together. Now, now I want you to see what Helen Keller wrote about her teacher. Maybe you've had a great teacher in your life. I was thinking this week about the great teachers in my life. And this is what Helen Keller said about Ann Sullivan. My teacher is so near to me that I scarcely think of myself apart from her. Now think about that in terms of God as your teacher. I feel that her being is inseparable from my own, that the footsteps of my life are in hers. All the best of me belongs to her. There's not a talent or an inspiration or a joy in me that has not been awakened by her loving touch. What Ann Sullivan was to Helen Keller, the spirit of God is to us. This spirit 
we have received and the Spirit is teaching us, moving us forward. Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers, he's just on fire all the time. And, and Evans years ago talked about, you know, those, um, those level escalators, moving sidewalks that you see. I've been in airports more than I care to think in recent weeks, uh, four times last week alone. Some of you live that life every week and um, I have a greater appreciation for you because that's not a life that comes easily to me. And um, when we get on those, um, when we go into the airport, I was there with my family. We have this game we used to play um, where I would walk beside and family would walk on the moving uh, escalator and we would see who would win the race. And I used to always win because I could just walk faster, but now it turns out with the moving sidewalk, nah, I can't, I can't win. We probably won't play this game forever, but anyway, we're still playing this game. And, and the amazing thing about that is when I think about that, I think about that's the way life in the spirit is. Look, the gospel is not opposed to your efforts in growing and knowing God. It's opposed to you earning relationship with God. You can't earn relationship with God, but that doesn't mean there's no effort involved. And the effort is we, we work and we do all that God is leading us to do. But all the while the sidewalk's moving and he's moving us forward and he's moving us upward and onward in ways that are greater than we could ever have done on our own. We have received this spirit, he says. And so we recognize all the things and understand all that God has so freely given to us so that we can repeat these things that God is teaching us to us other people and share those things. You want to see the spirit of God as teacher. It occurred to me, the gospel of John is all about this. John 14, verse 26. Check this out. But the advocate, this is who the Holy Spirit is, the one who comes alongside you, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's why we have the New Testament, by the way, because the spirit reminded the apostles, and they wrote down the very words of Jesus himself. John 15, 26, it's in that next chapter. When the advocate comes, whom I will send you, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, what will he do? He will testify about me. So the more the spirit teaches us, the more we know about Jesus, the more we understand him. It's kind of like those accent lights in my neighborhood that make the houses look better. And you never walk up the accent light and say, man, those are amazing accent lights. I love, I love the color of the accent. No, it's what it does to the building. And the spirit plays that role. The spirit willingly reflects in our minds who Jesus is so that there's a face on what God is doing in the face of Jesus Christ. And we understand who Jesus is. And then in John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, the final of these passages, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. Here's the thing, he will guide you into all the truth. We think truth, again, back to Tozer, we think truth is a creed or a text or a concept, but Jesus says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I am the way and the truth and the life. And so he will guide you into all the truth. Some years ago, I heard Evie Hill talk about how he, he made a trip to Africa and he just wanted to experience Africa. And so he got a map and he started to go out on his own. And a man walked up to him and said, I've been watching you and I've been following you and your life has been endangered three times by things that you encountered. And here's the thing I want you to know, you don't need a map, you need a guide. <laughs> And the great thing about the Holy Spirit is, I mean, some of us would say, if God would just send me a blueprint for the next 20 years, I promise you, God, give me a blueprint for the next 20 years and I'll do that. I'll do that. But it's better than that. He doesn't give you a map. He gives us himself as our guide 
so that we can trust him in the freedom of our own decision-making. We can trust in him. And notice what he says at the end. This is really important. He doesn't say, you have the mind of Christ. I don't want to disappoint you today. But he doesn't say, you individually have the mind of Christ. He says, we corporately have the mind of Christ. We can know what God wants us to do. And that wisdom is found in community as followers of Jesus Christ. That's why Marva Dawn, uh, in her tradition, one of my favorite authors, tells about going to her church for discernment. When she and her, her boyfriend wondered whether they should get married, they went to the church and said, what is the wisdom of the church? Now, this is not codependence. This is, we know God's speaking to you and God's speaking to us and God may be speaking to you about us. And so we need to know what God is saying. And they listened and they just sat and waited before God. They just waited before him. They waited until God spoke. And in the confirmation of other believers who had, who had steeped their lives in the word of God and were listening for the counsel of the spirit, they said, this is what we hear God saying to you. And in the confidence that comes in community, we can have this trust that God is going to speak to us. F.B. Meyer says, it's not, it's not that you and I just don't have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. But just as there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy area in the temple, sometimes in our lives, because of our own indolence, because of our own insolence, sometimes because of our disobedience to God, because of our apathy, we are unaware of God's presence and he prayed for his church and I pray for myself and for us that the same hands that rent the veil when Christ was crucified would rend the veil so that we could see and act on the presence of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And Frank Borum, a pastor in New Zealand, asked an older pastor who had great wisdom, so can we be confident in perplexing times that the Christian will know what God wants her to do, what God wants him to do? And this older preacher who had so much wisdom said, yes, I am sure of it, but he must wait on God and give God time. And then with a piercing look, he looked in Frank Borum's eyes and said, as long as you live, remember this, you must give God. God, time. And what happens to those who wait on the Lord? Isaiah says, we rise up on wings like eagles. We run and we are not weary. We walk and we are not faint. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your amazing Holy Spirit who lives in your people. We are yours because you bought us with the blood of your only son, and thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son. And thank you for leaving your Holy Spirit till the work on earth is done. And our presence here and your presence among us confirms that the work is not done. So as seven people pray and think together about 2020 and, and next steps, I pray God that you would guide our steps. And I say with Moses in Exodus, God, if you don't go with us, don't let us go anywhere. If you're not with us, Lord, and we're not with you, we don't want to take a single step outside your will. And today, Lord, consciously, confidently, we trust in you with our whole hearts and we don't lean on our own understanding and we're not consulting the wisdom of the world. But in all our ways, God, help us in all our ways to acknowledge you. 
And thank you for keeping your promise to direct our steps, to make our path straight. In Jesus' name, amen.